And now, live from Studio One in Castlebar, it's the Jack McDonald Show. Yes, you're all very welcome back to the Jack McDonald Show here on CRCFM, and it's a pleasure, as always, to be joining you. Noah Baba coming up in just a short few moments' time. Noah Baba, of course, Castlebar legend. He uh, reached many of the heights of of professional of sporting life, and he is here to tell us the tale in probably just uh, 10, 15 minutes' time. Before then, it's time to have a look at some of the stories within the papers. Firstly, there are some questions about about Diego Maradona's death. A prosecutor has begun looking into whether the medical treatment uh, Diego Maradona received in the final days of his life was indeed, uh, I suppose, acceptable. According to this piece, Diego Maradona, 66, or sorry, rather 60 at the time, he um, went under brain operation treatment and it didn't go according to plan and the medics are now being quizzed. So, a yeah, not a great story to open it up. Perhaps a lighter note. Uh, if you have ever decided to go and rob a store, probably use a real gun or a real or at least a real weapon, as this uh, as this failed robber f- found out. So a toy gun was used by a store thief apparently in the pro in the in the uh, I suppose during the uh, during the uh, occupation of a robbery. A bike rob a bike riding robber wearing a skeleton mask and yielding a toy gun. So you know he's cool, was unsuccessful in in two of his attempts to rob a premises. That's bad. You know, when you fail at one thing, it's it's difficult, but you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off. Like, you have to almost, you have to almost commend him for going back the third time. It's difficult. How can you fail a robbery twice? Obviously, the toy gun wasn't fooling many, but David Savage, named here in, in The Sun, 29, later presented himself at a guard station and told investigators that he had been in a panic and pressured to repay a drug debt so out he went to Fisher Price or wherever Smith's and picked up the uh, gun and uh, toy gun and obviously failed to <laughs> failed to um, yes to rob that store so um, David yeah not only did he get picked up by the cops but he also failed to do what I'd imagine what should be quite an easy thing which is to rob a store I mean even heroin fiends can rob a store then in a story that will never convince me, there is calls for proper e-scooter laws. And these aren't, you know, amongst kids who might be playing with the scooters, no. These are amongst adults who want uh, better laws around using the scooters. And I'm sorry, whenever I see anybody above 12 on a scooter, I'm never going to take them seriously. It's if, you know, if my dad showed up at school and he said, uh, get on the back of the scooter, son. Like, I'm not gonna, this is ridiculous. Why I I don't understand why grown people are actually thinking that they're going to look cool or interesting going around in a scooter just because it's got a little phone battery to the other side of it. It's nonsense. Um, and then to the online world, Joe Exotic. Remember him? The really the bizarre zookeeper owner. You you will never find any people like this in Dublin Zoo. He, of course, was the uh, focus of a Netflix documentary last year, uh, Tiger King. Joe Exotic is back in the news because he is selling an NFT. So for those of you who don't know what an NFT is, it's a non-fungible token. It's basically like a 
um, I suppose like a piece of gold or a trading card, but a virtual, uh, but basically on the net. And so these are, you know, almost collectibles. And he is selling these off. He has created his own NFTs. And um, apparently they're doing pretty well. He launched them today and he's hoping to make a fair wedge out of them. So fair play. He's still, by the way, he's still locked up because there was an animal animal rights activist who was pursuing him for many years and he conspired. He tried to, he allegedly tried to pay for a hit on her life. The documentary goes into further depth, but basically it's something that you wouldn't see in Dublin Zoo. Uh, And then, oh yes, Pooh Shiesty, who is of course the uh, young rapper, uh, an up-and-coming on the scene. He is facing a gun charge. I mean, what rapper isn't? Um, and so, while being while in court today, he showed up in a turtle suit. So, some fans are concerned that this might be a sign that he's suicidal. Other fans are concerned that maybe this is a sign that he hasn't grown up. Either way, he has showed up in the turtle suit. It looks quite bizarre, but I must say I'm... I'm surprised that very few people in court don't show up in fancy dress or anything like this. We, they're always wearing this, you know, the suits and the ties and whatever, but uh, he's certainly taken a novel approach. You could give him that. Then, if this uh, loads back up again, we have one more story for you. Of course, if you want to phone in, that's 094-902-7442. And if you want to text in, that's 087-935-0043. And finally, the email is studio at crcfm.ie. In just a few moments' time, we'll be joined by Sean O'Hora to see what he's up to. Always nice to have another voice on the programme. Oh, yes. And finally, a school, a Dublin-based school, is fighting to uh, overturn a ruling which allowed one of these heroin sites to be located near them. So you'll know those heroin sites where where if you are a junkie, this is the I believe it's the Swiss model, if you are a junkie, they're just going to say fair play. I mean, come on, uh, you know, you're you're having a tough time of it. You're obviously not going to get clean by uh, you know, by this kind of cold turkey approach. So instead what we'll do is we will give you heroin or whatever your drug of your choice essentially completely free on the taxpayer in the hopes that you will sober up kind of by yourself really um, and you know I suppose a really a shelter to keep these people occupied within well one of those sites has been opened up in a place near a school and the school of course does not want a heroin site beside them however the uh, the high court is not it, it doesn't seem that the early rulings aren't necessarily in their favor so we will see what happens with that so as i said of course uh, we will have the brilliant Sean O'Hora in just a few moments time but for now i think it's time for a little piece by Lil Wayne this is famous Yes, thank you, Laura. A seven-minute Bob Dylan song to keep the kids listening. Now, on the line is a man named Sean O'Hora. Sean O'Hora is on the sports show from time to time. Sean, how are things? Well, Jack, how are you? Good, good. Now, for anybody out there, if you want to phone in, that's 094-902-7442. If you want to text, that's 087-935-0043. Sean, how has the Euros been going so far? It's good now, yeah. Just after finishing France v Germany, it was a good game. What was the result? It was 1-0 to France. It could have been 3-0 to France. They had two goals disallowed for offside. So. A lot of talk about Benzema. He was. He played very well. Very, mm. very well. I actually had him in my fantasy football team. I, took him out of, I, I regret my decision badly. <laughs> you play fantasy right football? 
Yeah, it works. <laughs> I, I regret my decision. I already checked. Are you are you top of the table? Bottom. Bottom. Okay, right. Yeah, being bottom of the table is perhaps the best thing you can be in fantasy football, from where I'm standing. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, Sean, I bring you on today to trial a new segment called Advice with Sean. Sean, are you particularly good at giving advice? I, I'll give it a go, yeah. I can't say it's brilliant, but I'll try, try it. Fair enough. Well, there, of course, is always agony and sections in the sun and the star and everywhere. So the first story we have, or the first problem we have, really, Sean, is a colleague is blackmailing, potentially blackmailing a person here. So a colleague keeps asking me for money and it's starting to feel very wrong. I'm not sure if you'd call it blackmail, but I feel increasingly uncomfortable. Before lockdown, I stupidly upset an important client. I was terrified I'd lose my job. My colleague stepped in and sorted it. I should have told my boss everything, but I swept it under the carpet. A few weeks later, my colleague asked for 50 euro. The suggestion was I owed him. Now, I am concerned because since then he's asked for another whopping 150 euro and now he wants 250 quid. I'm terrified as I don't have the money and I feel really concerned. I really don't want this mistake to get out in the open. However, this is getting too much. Sean, what would you do in this situation? Um, I think I'd tell him where to, where to go and stop asking for money because there was only one favour that, um, that he did for him and I think if it was getting that serious and that he was being blackmailed to that extent, I would genuinely think about ringing the guards, or at least tell the <laughs> You'd ring the guards? I think so, yeah. You'd because snitch. That's, that's ridiculous. I don't know about that. I mean, to be fair, the, the colleague has done the other one a service, you know, that they saved, they kind of saved their job. They they calmed down mm-hmm. that important client. Yeah, but you, you can't really, like, take the mickey too much. So anyway, you can't be like, oh, I, I <laughs> do one favour. That's like how Joe, like, if for, let's say with the sports salon, let's say I, I didn't go in one day because I had a few too many points on Friday and you came in instead of me and every single Saturday then for the year I was like Jack can you come in and help me because you did it once like you just don't do it like so yeah, well, I wouldn't extort you for 400 quid, certainly. So, in no, that case, you'd uh, you'd go to the guards or at the very least report it to the higher-ups. Yeah, or, or just or if, if you can't sort it out with him individually, then go higher-up, yeah. Snitches get stitches. Okay, next one. Exactly. I've- I feel hopeless about my future. So a lot of people I think out there are probably feeling this one. I see people I've known from school on social media showing off their perfect life while I spend mine entirely miserable. I've had 24 years of this misery. I had a terrible childhood, my parents neglected me, and I was bullied. My mum and countless men and dad drank until they passed out. I skipped school and no one really cared. I ended up with no qualifications. I've been working in a shoe repair shop when I was furloughed and... uh, Uh, Yeah, when I was furloughed, and it made me take stock. I hate my life, but I dream of running my own business until I realise I could never handle that. Sean? Uh, I think now a lot of people um, are kind of in the same situation. I don't know where their their careers are heading, especially now after after COVID and everything. You're kind of, um, I know myself, you're kind of looking at yourself going, what's the next step, you know? Because you've had two years working working and you kind of want to move on and have a change so I get what they mean I get what they mean well of course you you are yourself are planning moves around the place do you relate at all to this uh, to this writer here in the paper yeah no I don't it's relatable no I understand from my own point of view, you know that makes perfect sense yeah mm, mm. I'm not going to say that on the radio but you know what I mean I just know I, I, I sympathize with them I understand them completely 
Yeah. Okay. So in in that instance, what would you would you say work harder or something or or perhaps seek some medical advice? Um, I think definitely with the doctor and sort out the problem, and then if um, and then with the career and stuff, I suppose pick something that you're passionate about, and then maybe try to get into a course in that kind of a field. Then you never know what you're going to find out from that. Then to get me, so like find something that like you like, like for example. Take me, we mean like we would like sports, that's how we end up to help with sports and stuff like stuff like that. Then going build on from there, so. Yeah, now don't set expectations too high. Not everybody can break into community radio. Uh, this is a know, this is a closed know, bracket. Okay, the next one. Uh, how to deal <laughs> with my anti-vax slash anti-mask mother. So just for context, the well, the person writing is a 15-year-old girl and she is not happy with her mother. This comes from the internet. I don't know wh- what's been up lately, but ever since 2017, the mother has started looking into more conspiracy theories and reading those blogs that have have no basis or fact. Now, don't get me wrong, even though my mother can still be well at times, she's fa- she's trapped within this wormhole. Ever since the pandemic, she has took a left turn. Left, left turn. Sharp left. My mother gets mad at me and my sibling whenever I wear my mask anywhere, wh- whether it be indoors or outdoors. She gets mad, she says, and she yells at them that they were brainwashed. Um, now, that, so that was just the masks. Oh now she is uh, upset with the daughter because the daughter is fully vaccinated. The daughter plays a sport and so needs to wear the mask and, and use the, the vaccine, obviously. And so the mother is out of control at this point not happy with the vaccine not happy with the mask Sean if you're in this situation I mean is there anything you can really do? Well the only way you can do with every single piece of evidence every bit of like videos on like YouTube Facebook Twitter Instagram if you go on RT News Virgin Media everything's telling you about the vaccines and masks and how important it is and how it protects you from the, from the virus and everything and we're just getting so we're getting the the good side of this this thing now. I hope hopefully. So I I don't get how she can still believe it's a bit of a hoax. Like it, it's clearly real, you know. It's just fine boggling. I think for the daughter, she's just kind of um. I'm not telling this for any kind of your children listening at this hour of the night, but uh, don't. I think in this instance, they don't ignore the mommy. I don't think she's right in this case. Yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, I think there's not really much to be done because there's such a, a difference there. You know, one person thinks that Bill Gates is going to eat her and the other person is, you know, completely of the the vaccine and the mask. So you're prob- yeah. there's probably not a lot, a lot of reconciling. You probably have to keep oh. the subject matter out of the house. It's, it's a problem, I think, actually plaguing a lot of families right now because some are apprehensive about the vaccine. Others are like vaccine zealots. Like, how could you not get the vaccine, you know, etc., etc. So it's definitely topical. I'll give them that. Okay, next one. Advice on dealing with minors at work who don't respect me. I don't know, Sean, you currently work in McDonald's. Is Do you ever encounter perhaps, uh, you know, staff or, or people, you know, customers who would be a little disrespectful? Uh, no, no, not really. Okay, but okay, well. That's a good good indictment for the Golden Arch as well. This person does not have your look. They got hired recently at an, at an ice cream shop, so they're living it up. And after just a month, they are running into these problems. The miners have been extremely nice and I already got the hang of everything. However, 
today they halfway through their shift they started kind of intimidating them um, and the respect level is totally limited uh, it's clearly diminished in the last while they they've begin they've begun to get attitude they appear to be at a kind of a similar level you know in terms of um, employment status yeah. and so it looks like it's a you know it's an inter uh, it's an inter work relationship that isn't going particularly well. Uh, Sean, if you were working in an ice cream shop a little bit older and some of the the youths started causing some bother, would you have a, a solution here? Um, I suppose with people like I suppose the fifteen sixteen year olds they're kind of very like like very kind of sure themselves that age I suppose so they haven't uh, fully matured. But I think that's kind of um. Especially at the top of the ice cream world. If you're 15 exactly. or 16, you're living exactly, it up yeah. in Ben and Jerry's world. In the scrum. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, I don't know, I suppose you have to be um, wary of that as well because they're going through a lot because like that age when you're going through puberty or whatever, so you have to be careful of all that kind of crack and just to be, um, to be mindful. And I suppose they've got that theory that you have to tell someone more senior than you you'd have to. But and I of course the problem is if you say anything, you know, these 15, 16 year olds exactly. can antagonize you all the way. But if you say anything or, or do anything, you know, uh, you push them or you, you raise your voice or something like mm-hmm. that, you may have a parent darkening your doorstep very soon. Well, the best advice I suppose I can give is just um, try to have the crack with them. So to try and make a joke, try and make a joke back. Don't be, don't take it as serious. And then essentially they're going to be like, oh, well, this, this book can handle the crack. And I'll probably just leave it alone then. That would be my best advice. Yeah, don't put, don't be putting putting your problems on Reddit. Like, like I'm 24. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be intimidated by 16 year olds. I'm 24. Like just taken. Have crack back, you know. That's what I do anyway. Okay, fair enough. Our last problem, Sean. This person, it's their, their there's a birthday upcoming. It's for their cat, and they're looking to basically organize a celebration. It's their what they describe as their perfect boy will be turning three, and they're looking to get put together a cat birthday party. Now, of course, aside from the fact that these people are particularly odd because they are trying to celebrate a cat's birthday. Do you have any advice as to perhaps the celebration that you can organise for, you know, little snuggles or whoever? For a cat? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, if you, if you told me to do it for a 21st or a 50th, no problem. <laughs> a, a cat? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I there's mean, many I'll, I'll... tutorials on YouTube, this person says, that they got their cat a wholesale box and a favourite mouse toy. He loved oh it. They also did up some banners and they put some string dangling for the special occasion. Jack, Jack out of all the problems you've given me tonight, that one has completely crumbled me. <laughs> and that's probably the most simple one of the four, though. That is... I don't even start. Like, it's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, actually completely something. I actually don't know what it's uh, I can't say because I'm just in shock that people celebrate cat's birthdays. Fair enough, you know. When I used to have the dog, the dog turned 12, like, the dog 12. But, like, you wouldn't, like, go have a party for, like, you just know it's birthday. Do you think of it? <laughs> so it's, just, it's a bit harsh. Something they like. I suppose, I suppose, okay, fair enough. You know, uh, if you've ever thrown a, a birthday for a pet, uh, perhaps... Yeah, well, let us know. Yeah, please let us know. You're the kind of person that would be up at this this hour of the night. Text 087-935-0043. Sean, as always, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, you'll be heard, I'm sure, on the sports show on Saturday, 2 to 5. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks, Sean. Right, that was Sean O'Hora. Uh, great stuff. In a few minutes' time, as I say, that, that brilliant Noah Baba interview. But for now, we're going to take a piece of music from Stormzy. This is Big For Your Boots. 
You are very welcome back to the Jack McDonald Show here on CRC FM, or if you're watching us in the various places. The man on the line, very, very special character, pretty much a local legend here in Castlebar, Noah Baba. How are things, Noah? Things are good. How are you, Jack? Good. Good. So it's, it's great to talk to you, Noah. I haven't seen you since, I think, remember you ran a summer camp a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. How, but how have you been? You are over in Germany playing football now. What's that like? It's completely different. Completely different. It's been like around two and a half years since I've been out here. So, so far, I like it. And it's been good so far. That's good. That's good. Can you take us back to how you started? You came to Castlebar at what age? Came to Castlebar, I was 10. 10. And you immediately started playing with Celtic, didn't you? No, it was just, it was a build-up. I started playing with the school in St. Patrick first. And then after that, I had a couple of friends I used to play with Celtic that I used to go to school with. Mm, so mm. that's how I managed to introduce myself with uh, Castlebar Celtic. And from there, that's basically where I started, yeah. Mm. And then once you got into Celtic, it started to go a little bit crazy. Do you remember the first time that scouts started being interested in you? Yeah, it wasn't straight away. It was, mm. was kind of just a bit of a build-up. Whereby I started with Casabar uh, Celtic and then I went up to the Mayor squad. Uh, then you're going to the inter-county and then you're going to the national team squad. That's kind of where people start to take a lot more notes of you when you get to the national team squad. So that's kind of where, like, from the Kennedy Cup, which I was able to go to, that's that's where you find a lot of scouts, a lot of people looking at games, a lot of people looking at potential players. And I think that's where people kind of started putting an eye on me a lot more. Mm. Was Castlebar a big adjustment coming from, I believe it was in a Cameroon? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was. Like like any other kid, like, you know, if you just move in country, like you're just coming into a new system, everything's completely different. The language is different, the people are different, so it takes a little bit of time to adjust, you know? Mm, mm. And so once scouts started getting noticed, what age were you? 11 going 12. Scouts were interested at 11 going 12? Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's that's that, crazy. Yeah, that's when I started because it was after, just before my 12th birthday, that I kind of started going in, going into the national team training sessions and being able to introduce to the system. Mm. And so once you're there, that's when you kind of, a lot of scout, that's where they spend a lot of the times, you know, mm, mm. at that level. Do you, when they see a young player at that level. Do you remember who the first scout that contacted you, what club that was? I can't really remember, but it was... Uh, I can't, I can't really remember <laughs> because at that time, you're like, you're trying to go through where you were and mm. what happened. Mm. But it's a good problem to have if there's so many scouts kind interested. Of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Do you remember when it started to get quite intense that, you know, things, talk started to develop and it looked like maybe you were going to side with the club? Yeah. When I was 10, when I was 14, going 15. Mm. Mm. that's when things kind of like the window kind of starts closing up. Are you going to move? Are you going to stay back in Ireland for a bit? Because when once you turn 16, that's when things kind of turn quickly because then you're allowed to go over there. Mm. But before that, you know, I wasn't really allowed to go over there because of some family issues and there was some, uh, you can't really sign with the club mm. over in England. Mm. Mm. You're going to there on the 18th, so you can do that at 16. Mm. So 
um, when I was like 14, going 15, that's when like you kind of have to narrow down the the things that you're doing and kind of focus on one or two clubs or the clubs you want to be able to make a decision on. Do you remember which clubs those were? Fulham. Fulham, which mm. I ended up going to. And then you had the likes of Manchester United. And then uh, there's a few other clubs that were there, but when I turned 15 and then going into my 16, but uh, it, it was pretty clear where I was going to go, you know? Mm. Did, did you meet a lot of big names? You know, Ronaldo was courted, uh, of course, when he was in Lisbon. Did you have a similar experience where big names were coming and saying, hey, Noah, you should join United or Fulham or, or whoever? It wasn't really, like, at that age, it's not really the influence of big names because mm. at that stage of the season, they're all in the Premier League. They all focus on playing the Premier League, you know? Mm. But... Of course, you go you go through, you go into the academy, you see some of the first-team players that we call them, we used to call them, then you see some of the first-team players, you see some of the maybe the ex-pros, some people in the staff that used to be like top, top professionals. So he has a bit of an influence in you, but at the same time, like you kind of have to try and do what's best for your own career. Like mm. Now, at the time, Fulham, I don't believe, were they in the Premier League? They were in the Premier League. Okay, so, okay. But very quickly after, they did sink down into the championship, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. once, so it, you were essentially picking from all of these different Premier League sides. Why did you go with Fulham as opposed to a United? It's a question that a lot of people have asked me, you know, but I kind of guess it was basically looking at my own progress. That's kind of what I kind of decided because not only we had a really that team that on the 18 team we had a Fulham was a really good team, you know. Mm. And uh, for me, it was kind of more about my development and having that chance to be able to break through and be able to have an opportunity to play mm. regularly. Mm. So, and of course, you can you can kind of say okay, you you fancy yourself to go and try and do that anywhere. But at that stage, I thought Fulham, which was a decision not only made for myself but it was a decision I came together with my family. We kind of spoke. And then we came to a decision that okay, Fulham was the best place for me to go and continue my development. Like, mm. were you, are you happy when you look back? Are you happy at your time in Fulham? Yeah, mm. yeah. I know things didn't really go particularly the way I wanted because when you go in an academy like that, you always want things to go like really, really well and mm. become so successful that okay, everybody is kind of takes notice. But at the exact same time, like there's a couple of things that happened to me at Fulham that when I look back now. I kind of feel grateful for for those type of things because uh, I came out of there and it was it was a good experience for me and I learned a lot from that. Mm. Leaving in the middle of Ty, that's a very scary prospect. You're leaving your friends, your family, everybody. Why did you choose Ty and what was that experience like? Leaving Ireland and all your friends to go to kind of this unknown place. I think Ty was. For me, if I went into fifth year, I think it would have been better for me to finish my living set. Mm. And that's kind of where I I kind of made a decision. It would have, either I go into fifth year, finish my living set, or I go now and then try to see if I can follow through some education, which was available for me at Fulham as well, you know? Mm. Mm. So I had, uh, mm. there, was a, there was a good education system that was available for us at Fulham as well that I was able to get myself into. Mm. Mm. 
What's the experience like being a young player? So once you land in Fulham, uh, I know that the uh, class of 92 speak of all getting these kind of souped up Toyotas and spinning around the place. You have some money in your pocket, presumably. You're, you know, you're doing well. You're in an academy. What's that like? I mean, of course, there must be, there must, everybody must want to be your friend. People probably asking you for things. Girls, you know, probably message you a hundred times a day. What was that like? It's it's a different experience. Like uh, when you look at a class of ninety two, like their their success is you, you go a long way to see something like that. Mm. Like that's for me. I've always I've looked at some documentaries about them and some of the players that came out of that class. The career they went on to have was unbelievable. But on the other hand, when you're talking about going over there, of course there's uh, you you start generating a different type of interest. But that's down to you to manage it. You know, mm. you're not just gonna go there and be like okay because i have maybe i might have a little money in my pocket or what might have happened so you try to keep keep as level-headed as you can mm. to be able to just focus on the football mm. of course there's things that like you know we're, we're all at that stage by where but like you're growing up and then you start to see things but at the exact same time for me it was meant to have to keep a level head mm. and just focus on what i needed to do mm. <laughs> Not the sensational answer people were probably hoping for, but, you know, of course, being a professional footballer, I'm sure that was what you had to do. Then you went to Birmingham. What was that? Firstly, why why did you go to Birmingham? But secondly, what was that experience? I went to Birmingham. I decided to go to Birmingham. For me, it was mainly uh, about breaking into the first team because I had I had been in the academy at Fulham. I played all the way down to the under-21s in the academies and I felt like okay maybe going in there and get a bit of a chance to be able to break into a first thing which unfortunately I wasn't able to do like but going in there I was able to learn something completely different than what I was at Fulham because there was not there are two completely different academies I think now that with a lot more a lot more opportunities might have just gone up but Fulham's academy compared to Birmingham is completely different. So you go into a Birmingham academy, you go into the under-23 sides, it's your main target is to break into the first team. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was it was a good experience for me because uh, there you're a little bit closer. You get to train with the first team a little bit more. You get to be around them a little bit more, which I got a few chances at Fulham, but not as much mm-hmm. as I did when I was at Birmingham. Mm-hmm. But the main thing that was for me, which... Unfortunately, I wasn't able to do was to break into the first team and I wasn't able to do that there either. What was your kind of approach to training to get into the first team? You know, I suppose diet, gym, uh, you know, how many sessions a week watching training footage? What what, what did you uh, kind of formulate into your training plan to try and break into the first team? You got to look at the people, the people who are playing the first team. For me, that's kind of what it was like. You have to look into the people that was playing in the first team, the people that are playing regular, people having good performances every week. And then not only you get to speak to them, like you, the main experience you'll get out of that would be for you to be able to basically formulate something according to what's best for you and what can also get you in the team. Mm. You know, like the demand of the manager, the demand of, the team at that time, where are you going to play? Are you going to play in the middle? Are you going to play at the back? Are you, where are you going to play, you know? Mm. That's kind of where you have to formulate. And being a young player at that stage is kind of like, okay, you might need to be available, whatever they might need you. Mm. So mm. you have to, like, at that stage, I had to basically put a round circle on 
not only being available to play in my position, but also being available to play in other position. Mm. Mm. You need it. So at that stage, because for me, it was mainly about breaking into the first team. When Birmingham didn't happen and you couldn't get into the first team there, they didn't. Uh, the first team didn't happen there. What did you, were you starting to feel a little dejected, or that things that things would never materialize? You do have doubts. You do have like you have doubts every now and then. Like you know, maybe you you go in, you lose maybe one or two games, or. You find yourself maybe you think okay this might be the right opportunity for me now and it doesn't come mm. you do have those type of moment whereby you, you feel okay is this really worth it for me to do is it for me like is it worth for me to continue to work in this hard and continue pushing back at the exact same time sir football is a long game sometimes it can be like when you're in that situation whereby you're waiting you're looking for that opportunity you probably done more most of the things you could have done at under 23 level mm. and now all you need is basically first team opportunity so you keep knocking away. That's all you can keep doing. Like, you know, you can't. Because the day you don't knock, that might be the day that your opportunity might come. So you might have to just keep on the lookout and just keep doing the right thing. I really, like, I tried my best to do every day to just keep mm-hmm. doing the right thing. Were you still in the Ireland squad at that point? Because, you know, for, you were kind of front and centre for the Irish squad. You were captain and everything. When you were in Birmingham, did you still have links to the Irish squad? Yeah, I did. I did. I did went there. I went into a few training camps. Mm. And uh, I was able to get involved with some games against Norway, which was um, like one or two friendly games. But other than that, when the big tournaments came, I didn't know. I wasn't involved with the big tournaments when they were playing the friendly. But there was a couple of friendlies and a couple of training camps that I was involved with. So, mm. yeah. Mm. You, unfortunately, then you, well, Birmingham, once Birmingham didn't materialize, you went to a different club, but you also were involved, I believe, around that time in a car crash. Are you okay to speak about that? Yeah, yeah, I don't don't have a problem speaking about that. You know, it's an experience in my life that not a lot of people know about, but at the same time, I learned a lot from that, you know. I learned a lot from that summer whereby things could have went completely different. Like, and today I'm still grateful that I see that bone my legs and the people, uh, all the people that were involved in the accident, all of them are still, like, alive and healthy. Mm. So, for me, that was the main part after I came out of that. And uh, up to now, I feel, uh, I feel very grateful to be able to, even every time I step on the pitch, you know, mm. to be able to have not only bone my legs to be able to play, but have my my whole health, mm. you know, because it might not be your legs, it might be your lung, it might be your head, it might be mm. something that just completely happened different with you. But mm. yeah, because I'd, I'd imagine when the minutes, you know, while you're real time, that car crash is occurring, you pro- I would assume you're thinking my legs, you know, everything I need to play the game that I love is in jeopardy. Was was that what you were thinking, or was it going to something else? Of course, like, you know, that those type of things for me at that moment, it wasn't really your football, football, but for me, because there's other people involved in, in it as well. For me, it was kind of like, there was kids, you know, that's for me, that's kind of um, the main thing whereby there was one of the cars where there was kids in the car. Mm. And for me, at that moment, you can think about your legs, you can think about football, you can think about whatever, but when there's kids involved and there's, you see another person's kids in the car that for me you football has to go aside you know like these are their kids life people are kids are on the way to school and they happen to have a shock like that for me it was basically making sure that those kids first were there was okay you know mm. and the lady and the other ladies they was all okay mm. but for me he, he, the football reality kind of hit after 
mm. whereby I was able to step out of the car, give a hand of help to the lady that was stuck in the other car with her kids. And the other lady, for me, it was after, after the one I got home that I kind of realized, okay, like things we got, things could have went absolutely the wrong way here for me. Mm, mm. Did so, you have to do any rehab for your, for your legs or any of your bones then, or could you just, were you okay to walk out of that? Miraculously, I, <laughs> I just walked out. Mm. I could have played a game that exact same day. I could have trained on the exact same day. I went to the hospital for a couple of hours for a clear checkup of my, of my body, but like I said, I just came out of it. Like everybody else just came out of it in, in complete health. Like, mm. and it was for me today, I still feel like it doesn't matter what I do today. That's probably one of the moments in my life where I'll always be grateful for. Like I just step out of my car, was able to help the two other ladies and, uh, and their kids and to walk out of there with my two feet, not even a scratch. I had a little bit of a scratch on my, I think it was the left side of my face from mm. the airbag and, uh, that was it. Yeah, that was it. It was incredible. Not, incredible. Walked out of my life, yeah. <laughs> mm, incredible. When you when you kind of like eleven or twelve, I'm even shocked at that. But you know, when so young, you start to become such a big star, and you know that the paychecks and things like that come along with it. Do you start to feel almost like Do you start to feel almost like you are kind of, I suppose, helping so many people and almost under pressure to keep all these other people that maybe either have expect expectations of you, either financial or just, you know, you have to score this amount of goals or get into this team. As a young player, is that a difficult thing to deal with? That's like, when you talk about the financial things, that, that, does, that doesn't come at that age. When you're at that age, is the main thing that you try to focus on football. Mm. You have no expectation in regards to anybody you have no responsibility in regards to having to feel anybody's needs and like at that age all i needed all i had to focus on was playing football you know all i had to focus on was basically go out there perform and enjoy myself mm. you know and for me that kind of helped me in the sense that okay you have nothing to worry about like at that age like has any other kids like you have no worries mm. all you need to worry about is just go out there do what you love to and come home even in the games at that age like the games are of minor importance you know so it's only when you start getting to a level of high level where the demands are being put on you mm. that's when things kind of kind of okay you kind of there's a little bit of pressure here there's a little bit of a demand here but at the age of 11 12 all you want to do is just play football mm. there's no pressure there's no pressure there there's all you do is just go out there enjoy yourself and have fun mm. Okay, so once you had that car incident and, you know, thankfully you were fine and you were able to walk away from that, then you eventually find yourself back here in Ireland. You were playing for Waterford Town, if I'm right. Yeah, I played for Waterford, yeah. Yeah. What was, what was, was it, was it a difficult thing, firstly, to have made the big journey over to England and have to come back? Or were you almost happy that maybe you, ha you would have kind of a different experience in the Artricity League? For me, it was, uh, I was in England for a long time, you know. Uh, I played there, uh, I gave it a right go. Like, I went in after, after Birmingham, I went in and I played at Marcusfield mm. for one season. So it was a bit of an experience where I've tried, like uh, I gave I gave the best of myself when I was there. Like I was able to try three different clubs, and I kind of thought, okay, mm. like this is another opportunity for me to come and play here. And uh, 
for me, I was able to learn from that. Like I went and played for Waterford for I think it was for half a, half a season, and then uh, I was able to learn a lot from that. And mm. I was able to play in the league for a couple of games and to be able to test myself against some of the players in the league. It was and it was great for me. Now you're over in Germany. What is it like? What's football like over in Germany? And how are you treated? You know, you've been to three different countries. So how are you treated as a football star in England, in Ireland, and in Germany? It's different. Mm. That's the one thing that's for sure. It's different over here. Everything is completely different than what you will have in Ireland, what you will have in Germany, uh, in England, or what you have in Ireland. Like, uh, of course, here all you you're focusing on football as well. And the fan base here is completely different than in England, you know? Mm. So you're treated, it's similar, similar in some places, but in other cases, everybody here is a little, the respect level here is a little bit, you have to kind of be a lot more level-headed around here mm. with the people, with the fans and with the interaction with the club, because here there's like the community is a little bit more together. Mm. I feel like you have a lot, a big fan base over in England and, uh, some clubs in Ireland, yeah, you do, but mm. here the fan base is a little bit more, they have a lot more to say in the clubs, you know? Mm. Mm. So the, the interaction with the club is a little bit more bigger. You have a lot more interaction with the fans, a lot more interaction with uh, with different uh, different people, different communities. So, mm. But it's it's good. Mm. It's good. For me, it was, it was mainly about having to try something new, you know? Mm. I, I've always been somebody that I like to take chances and when this opportunity came for me to be able to try something new, I was like, okay, why not? Let me see what that'll take me and what I can learn from it. So you have, of course, had your stint or your first stint maybe in England and now you're in Germany. Do you have a hope or a desire or, or anything to go back to England, Premier League, uh, Championship, anywhere, or are you kind of happy in the German leagues? After, after traveling, playing like playing in England, playing in Ireland, and playing in Germany, of course, like you, you do develop a tendency of kind of just trying to develop yourself mm. because the football in England, you, you kind of come to realize football is football, you know, mm. where you play is where you play. And if the chance to play in England comes, then you go, the chance to play in Germany comes, you play, and then the chance to play in Ireland comes, then you go and play. Mm. And it also opens you an opportunity to be able to play in so many different countries. For me, having that chance to be able to play in all those three different countries and knowing football in those different countries is it's helped me to be able to develop not only as a person but as a player too you know now i feel mm. ready to be able to take maybe another step into a different completely different country without any any resistance you know mm. are you ever worried or or have have you ever had your love of football perhaps challenged or go away you know there's, there's a lot of people myself included who you're football mad for the first you know whatever 10 15 years of your life and then you start that kind of love starts to fade obviously you must must love it much more than myself or, or many of those people but do you ever or, or how have you ever had that love challenged of course, of course, you do like you do have times whereby like your love of the game, it, it is challenge. It's like it's challenging every day. For me, I, I find the challenge like the challenge is exciting. You know, I find that like I've come to develop a certain mindset whereby like you know football is challenging. So is other aspects of life. You know, so my love of the game doesn't just come because everything is going great. My love of the game just comes because I enjoy playing football. I love I love being involved in football. I love 
playing the game. I love the feeling of being involved in the team. I love there's so many different aspects of football that I, I enjoy being that brings a it brings a whole picture together in the sense that um I do enjoy the game. Mm. And my love for the game is not only the football part is but the team activities, the whole the whole vibe of being together as a team walking towards something, that's something I kind of just, I like doing that, but I'm not going to, there's no point, there's no, you can't hide away from those moments where you kind of feel like, okay, what is this for me? You know, is, is this the right path for me? And mm. it comes around every now and then. Now, it might come around three or four times a season. Like it, you do, you do find those moments where, like, okay, mm. you might go on a run against where, but you particularly not, maybe you might not perform, be performing as much as you want it, mm. but, you that's when you kind of have to keep your head strong and kind of be like okay Hmm. i need to keep pushing at this so finally when you look back at the last few years of your life i wondered is there anything that you would say to noah before he departs and you know takes a trip on that ferry or that plane ride over to england in ty is there anything you would say to yourself at 15 or 16 before you do sign a contract or before you get into the football industry That's kind of, uh, it's a tough one on both sides because you, when I look back of what I've done in football and I look back of the opportunity that may have come my way if I had been maybe a little bit more thoughtful about certain situation, you know, maybe taking a lot more chances and being a little bit more risk oriented in certain situation, then you think, okay, maybe if it could have been different chances, but on the other side of that, you kind of look on yourself like, okay, he, you've done the best that you could have done. Mm. And uh, in in this in this business, like that's the way I, I see it now, like it's something you love, but it's also a business. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things that you, you don't see until you're in the game. Mm. And uh, one thing that I could have told my younger self is to study them before you get into the game. You know, study those the aspect of, you didn't see before you got in. If you had studied them a little bit, could have helped you a little bit adapt a lot more quicker. And you could have, there's certain things that could have happened that you could have probably reacted completely different if you knew. Can you remember any of them off the top of your head, those little things that could have made such a big difference? Yeah, cool. like when you go over to England, like you're, of course you're going to have to deal with like, dealing with different managers, you know, playing on different managers, for example. You know, every manager has got a different completely different view about you you know one manager will come and look at you differently another manager will come and look at you differently and when once you don't know those type of things you you, you become a little bit vulnerable and then there's uh the business side of football you know the business side of football is a is a side that a lot of people a lot of young players don't don't really see until they get in there and then they see the business side of football and that is something that when once you come to realize certain things about the business side of football, then sometimes it can be a little bit too late. Well, thanks so much, Noah, for your time. Uh, as I said, and it remains true, you're beloved here in Castlebar, and I'm sure you'll be back to Castlebar at some point. I'm not sure. Are people able to watch the your team? Is there a way people can watch it? Yeah, there's some uh, there's some website online. There's some website online. So the season's over now. So mm. okay, yeah. 
what's what going to happen next season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a couple of webs on the line. And if there's any situation and anybody wants to get in contact with me, you can get in contact with mm-hmm. follow the games online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks so much, Noah. This was great. No problem. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Laura. I mean, Noah Baba, how brilliant was that? And even George Hook yesterday, Sean O'Hora again, what excellent program tonight. Really appreciate all the efforts of those people for joining in and creating such an excellent program. Anyway, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow will be National Fudge Day. So when you wake up, you can... Well, don't stuff your face with fudge right away, but at some point, if you want an excuse, there is, I suppose, an excuse there. It is also Tupac's birthday. Uh, That's right, it's Tupac's birthday, Um, and so that's why we're going to play out tonight's show with a very special song. This was Tupac and Dr. Dre all the way back in the 90s. We'll be here with you tomorrow and, of course, Thursday night. But for tonight, have a great night. Thanks, everybody, for listening.